Who knows what Jay-Z, J.K. Rowling, Bill Gates and Oprah Winfrey all have in common? Okay, I will tell you then. They have all overcome failure in one shape or form to go on to gain success in their respective careers. Welcome to My Perfect Failure. Join us as we delve into the world of our perfect failures. We will interview, explore, and discuss how our perfect failures can lead us to success. Join us and tune in. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of My Perfect Failure. Today, we have another wonderful guest. So I'm super duper excited to have this guest today. You're going to find out why in a second. But my guest today is a retired U.S. Navy Master Chief cryptopologist and currently serves as a Chief Information Security Officer within the U.S. Federal Government Senior Executive Service. He is a high-performing, mission-focused, results-driven executive and cybersecurity strategist with executive federal government and military experience. He's also the author of the book, The Legitimate Son, How a Naval Cryptopologist Cracked the Code of Life Lessons. So a very warm, warm welcome to my perfect failure, Kenneth Earl. How are you, Kenneth? I am doing great. And thank you, Paul, for the invitation to, you know, to speak to you today about your perfect, my, my perfect failure and illegitimate son in my life. So it's just an honor to be with you today and to join you and your fans. Well, likewise, likewise. And we can let, I guess, the listeners and people watching into a little bit of a secret. I, I kind of had a bit, a bit of a challenge actually making this happen today, a little bit delayed. And then we had some uh, audio challenges that we've already navigated. So we've kind of almost turned failure into success by overcoming, yes. those, overcoming those obstacles. Obviously, we were connected. And when I was able to look a bit of look at a bit of your background I was just so excited to connect with you today because of your background and the obstacles that you've overcome to be where you are today it really captures the essence of why my perfect failure exists so where I thought we could start Kenneth is is maybe if we can start maybe at the beginning of your background obviously people might glean when you talk you're from the states but Maybe we can capture your childhood and maybe lean into, you know, who Kenneth is today. Good. Great. I would love to do that. Okay. So I was born in Columbia, South Carolina, and that's in the, in the South, obviously, uh, you're in the UK. And uh, I was born in 1963. About 1968, when I was about five years old, you know, I started coming to life and remembering things. My mother, she had four children. And I was four, the four for four children. And my mother was unwed. My mother grew up in the Great Depression. And she was born in 1937. And she grew up. And during that time, it was very difficult uh, being in the segregated South, raising four children by herself. And uh, but my mother was an extraordinary lady. And she raised us. And she, she believed in God. She, she really had a, a well, I would say a poly, but a very, I'm going to call it a disciplinarian, but she was very, very focused on making sure that me and my other siblings had a better life than she did. So she ensured that happened. But being the four for four children, um, you know, I, I think I probably got the best of it in, right. in that sense because she was able to figure out some things. Yeah. So we ended up, um, was living in a, a, an impoverished neighborhood. Um, 
and it's called Cherry Street. I actually talk yeah. about it in yeah. the book. And uh, she worked up, she worked up enough, she worked. She didn't graduate from high school. She had a general education diploma, but she worked her way up to be a nurse's aide. And uh, that she was able to you know, have enough funds to move us out of that neighborhood to a better neighborhood. And, and during that time, you know, we always focused on, you know, just trying to be a better person. And she was just a great example of what that was. My older brother, uh, he ended up uh, graduating from high school and, and going into the U.S. Air Force. My next oh, brother, wow. he, he, he actually graduated and went into the U.S. Army. And my sister, who I was next to, I was the fourth of those four children, she went to college. And I saw my mother help her and support her through college. But that was a little bit challenging with, with her income mm-hmm. and, and the things that she had to sacrifice mm-hmm. for. So my last three years of school, of high school, um, it was just me and my mother. And, uh, you know, I got a chance to really see how she was and we really got close together. And uh, but at that point, you know, it was like what I'm going to do with my life. And uh, long story short, I was a basketball star. I got to tell you that Paul, really? I was a basketball star in high school. That was pretty good. But I didn't get a scholarship. I didn't get an athletic yeah. scholarship. And I knew if I didn't, it was going to be very difficult for her to, you know, I saw what my sister went through in terms of. Mm you know, the struggles financially to get yeah. my sister through school. So um, I had a talk with my basketball coach and he had told me, hey, Craig, you know what? If just like myself, he was in the U.S. Army. And he said, if you join the military, the U.S. Navy, you can earn a degree, serve your country, um, play basketball, travel mm-hmm. the world. It was just an all-in package. And, and my best friend at that time, I found out he was going in the Navy. We both had a chat about it. And I'll talk about this in the book. Mm. And that there was all began from there. So I joined the Navy at age 17. I was still in high school. Um, after graduation, I was in what they call the delayed entry program. Mm. And at that point, you know, I scored really high on these aptitude tests. And I was granted an opportunity to take another test to be a cryptologist. So um, I was a naval cryptologist. And I was going to specialize in a Russian language Wow. arrived at the, at the school and they put me in a Korean language. Mm. And uh, I talk about that in the book, but I ended up getting reclassified, uh, just given some of the rigors associated with uh, that work. So I ended up, you know, spending 21 years in the Navy, but that was the early beginning. So the key thing to keep that in mind in my beginning years is my mother raising four children by herself and the examples of strength and um, integrity and mm. all those things. She taught me some of those basic things you know, really, really help. I'll say one thing before you ask the next question, but, you know, your your, your platform is about my perfect failure. Mm. And I can tell you throughout this book, you'll see a number of them. But I wanted to share with you, and one of the reasons why I wanted to, and I've decided to join you today, is that, uh, you know, failure, I actually looked it up and looked up the definition. And failure is the lack of success. And I'm like, wow, it's just that simple. That's all failure is, the lack mm. of success. And there's a quote that I wanted to share with you. I was eager to share this with you, Paul. But there was a gentleman named uh, Earl Nightingale. And he had a quote. And he said, success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. And I'll repeat that. Success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. And the reason why I wanted to share that with you, because your podcast is about my perfect failure. Mm. And oftentimes we kind of look at that like, that's just the end. But mm-hmm. actually, you yeah. know, if success is the progressive realization, that failure can be 
you know, an opportunity for growth. Mm. And I've seen that with a lot of your guests and I hear you talking about it a lot. And that's mm. just what it is where, you know, mistakes and failures are opportunities for the growth. And that's something that that was one of the codes that I cracked in life. And I can honestly tell you, I've learned the most, particularly as a young child. Mm. And even some of those, those aspects of growing up in the military and working in the intelligence community in the United States, um, it really taught me that. So I don't shy away from it. Yeah. But you can be successful at anything. I know yeah. you're going to have a successful podcast and a successful life. But this again, success is the rest of realization of a worthy ideal. And failure is just the lack of success. Yeah. So if you're going towards something, I think there's no failure. There's no yeah. sustained failure. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I think, you know what? Before I started the podcast, being open and transparent, or before I had the idea, actually, of starting a podcast, mm-hmm my definition of failure was kind of black and white. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's right. So it, so having wanted to do the podcast, wanting to understand the principles of success failure, I just had this awakening where I realized that as long as we, as, as Earl Nightingale said, have a worthy sort of idea and we look to pursue that, then there's growth all the way along. It might not you might not hit the straps immediately, but that isn't a problem. Yeah. It's the it's the the, the it's the it's the endeavor and it's the ability to always look for you know a little piece of information there that shows a little bit of progression, even if it isn't what we want it to be, there's still something that we can latch on to. I, I totally agree and 100 percent agree there. Um, you know, often told, oftentimes we're told, you know, failure is no option. Yeah. And we get those messages mm. in our head and we grow up like, oh, you know, I make a mistake or, or, you know, you fail at something and then you stay there yeah. because, you know, it's like, oh, that's like the boogeyman coming after mm. you made a mistake. So I'm glad that you have this podcast because truthfully, a lot of folks stay in that and they well, don't, you know, it's, it's not the falling down, Paul, it's not the getting up. And I think when we said, oh, you look at themselves at their lives as a failure because maybe that business failed or maybe that relationship failed or maybe they didn't get into the college or university they wanted to attend. A lot of things and they look and they take inward. But I'm so glad that you're doing this because I think that this is an empowerment. And, and, mm. and failure is just simply by definition, the lack of success. Yeah. And if we're going to talk about success being the progressive realization of a worthy ideal, then we all can be successful, whatever we may define that as. And that's why I'm really excited to be here to talk about and and parlay that into our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And even in the UK, there is, you know, it's kind of like a taboo subject. So nobody wants to talk about failure, that I didn't achieve something. And I think that the concern with that is that people don't try. We don't try anything. We stay in the middle lane of our life. Yes. And you will know this more than anybody because of your background in the Navy. Yeah. In the military, life is very precious and we never know what's around the corner. So if we just stay in a middle lane, we may not get the opportunity to navigate beyond that. So giving people, you know, having people like you on this podcast, the platform where we can enlighten people is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what just resonated with me when you, you mentioned the military aspects, you know, when I first went in at age 17, 
you know, uh, after my first year, a lot of my friends and family back home would say, Craig, what have you learned the most? Mm. And I would say to them, I learned discipline, right? I learned mm. discipline. Yeah. Uh, I learned a lot. I mean, technically and operationally, mm. but discipline is what taught me. And when we start thinking about being successful or failing in life, you know, I think one of the most important ingredients that we have to have is discipline. So one of the mm. things that yeah. the military kind of instilled in you is that and core values and things like that. So when I did have those challenges, which I did, I made mistakes yeah. and challenges throughout those 21 yeah. years. And it was an ebb and flow kind of thing, mm. but I was progressively getting better, you know, over mm. time. And what I can say to you, what helped sustain me doing that is some of those values that my mother taught me about character and integrity. Mm. But importantly, it was the discipline to stay there, to stay focused, not to give up, you yeah. know, and, and wow. to work through some of those challenges. And I had a lot of challenges mm. in the military. I mean, obviously being 17 years old, you know, by age 26, I was leading you know, you know, large groups of men and women at that time and, you know, trying to develop during those times. So, you know, working towards those things, you know, I did come out of high school and I had to obtain a college degree while I was in the military and trying to go to college, mm. serving your country, traveling the world, dealing with special operations like I did. Um, it did. It was a challenge. and I had to stay disciplined and I had to stay yeah. focused and uh you know, so I would say that um, it contributed a lot to where I'm at today, you know, and, um, you know, I was just very grateful for the fact that, you know, I had an opportunity to get that discipline early on, make those mistakes early on mm. to build upon some of the successes that, you know, I have had in my career and in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can I just go back to yeah. your childhood a, a bit and then I want to tap into yeah. some of the stuff that you just yes. said. So. When you were talking about your childhood, about, you know, you ended up going into the military, your your brothers chose similar paths, you know, your sister did well as well. And mm-hmm. I was I was keen to get a sense of what your peers were doing, the kids in your area, because your mum seems to have done an amazing job getting all her kids on the straight and narrow. And you and I know that you mentioned that your background wasn't was yes. in a challenging area. So I imagine your yes. peers may have not been on the same path as you. So what was going on there? Yeah, I mean, it was, it, it, it varied, right? Okay. I would say, recall, it, the, the, initially the Cherry Street area, mm. you know, it was, um, it, was a diff, it was more difficult than the area that I ended up where I graduated from. Mm. So where I grew up at for the first five, six years of my life, that was a, some difficult challenges, right? Mm. You know, in terms of the economics and mm. things. And, you know, so that, and even to this day, I actually visited there this past November when the book came out. Mm. And I, I went to that neighborhood and I passed mm. out. Wow, wow, amazing. So there's still some of those same challenges. Wow. Uh, economically, I'm talking about and yeah. education wise, that stuff still exists. And okay. uh, not as bad as it was. But mm. what I can tell you when I contrast it to my beginnings, relatively speaking, it's still some difficult challenges for, for young people, you know, given not a lot of opportunities. In the neighborhood that I moved to, you know, those families, again, my mother was raising four children by herself, but this neighborhood, most of those families were two-parent households, mm. right? So for the most okay, part, okay. you know, and I can, I'll be transparent, you know, I was considered at risk. Why was I, I mean, you know, I was in this uh, scared straight program mm. for at-risk youth. Mm. And not because I was, you know, unintelligent or not smart, but it was because, you know, I was considered at risk because, you know, relatively speaking, other kids had, you know, their parents there 
maybe more income than my mother and mm. things of that nature. But my mother, you know, let me participate in this this program that uh, try to put you know kids that are at risk on the straight and narrow. So as I went through high school, I was a pretty good student and uh, I was an athlete as well. So that kind of helped. I can say I didn't study like I should have. However, you know, at that time in the schools that I was in, you know, coming to school and being a good student and, and being well behaved went a long way, yeah. uh, more than grades in some cases, if you know yeah. what I mean. You know, so to that extent, I did well. And my class, my graduating class was relatively good. I would say that, you know, I would say that, um, you know, what I would have predicted that I would have ended up where I'm at today. Probably not. Mm. Um, have I gone a lot further than, than some, many of my classmates? Yes. Have others gone further? Absolutely. Mm. So I can say it was a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, I can say that uh, making the right choices and decisions, um, you know, that was important. I can say a lot of my classmates did go to college right away. Mm. And when I joined the Navy, I actually joined the Navy with two other individuals. And, um, you know, they're still friends, they're friends and close, close, close friends, mm-hmm. even to this day. But I can say I was the only one that did 21 years. I was wow. the one that went the whole time. Wow. And uh, so not that I'm any better or comparatively, but what I'm saying is I did make it a career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I do credit my best friend um, and my basketball coach for encouraging me. Uh, that being said, I, I did visit them when the book was published in November of last year, uh, 2021. And I visited my basketball coach, and he was so proud really? of me. Amazing. And my best friend, who I went in the Navy with, he was so proud of me as well yeah. because they seen they knew the journey from where I came from. Yeah. It's not so much you know what you obtain; it's sometimes it's where you came from. And yeah. I'm so glad that you're asking that question because I think for many folks, you know, um, that may be feeling, hey, you know, uh, you know, I was born on the other side of the tracks. Mm. Uh, life is difficult, you know. Um, you know, so maybe you won't try as hard, but I want anyone to know that, you know, you can come from challenging beginnings and still succeed in your life. And that's why I call the book Illegitimate Son mm. and um, not S-O-N, but S-U-N. Yeah. You may know this. I know in the United States, when a child is born out of wedlock mm. and not with the yeah. husband and wife together, back then you was considered illegitimate. Mm. So I was trying to be literarily crafty and mm. clever by saying illegitimate son, because I was trying to attract folks who might feel that for some reason, you know, growing up or the circumstances that they have is some kind of limiting, mm. but I wanted to say a sun rises, right? So yeah, that goes to, you know, the, the, the failure part and, and mm. success and all of that. So I was <clears> trying to be representative of that. And, uh, but the short answer to your question is I graduated, I was probably in the middle of my class mm. academically. I had high intelligence, but I didn't study as much mm. because, again, I say this with a smile on my face. <laughs> I was an athlete, so all I had to do yeah. was just show yeah. up and and behave, mm. and uh, that tend to to help. And but it did catch up with me later in life because now I had to study, get a degree, and you look back and you say, God, you know, mm. I could have probably studied harder, but now I had to make up for that as I went and you know eventually obtained my bachelor's and well, associate's and bachelor's mm. and my master's degree. And I continue my education to this day. But, you know, to that extent, you know, I did relatively well and, uh, you know, comparatively, I would say. Yeah. So amazing, amazing journey and, and story, by the way. I, I was yeah. reading some excerpts from your book mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. 
an episode happened when you were 19 and I think you just joined the Navy and you had to yeah. act quite quickly. So my question is, what was that a moment like and how did you find the, the tools within you to take on an act in that, in that situation? Yeah, great. Thank you. I know that's, I think that's chapter four of the book, and I think it was called Overcoming Fear. Mm. And what happened was I was 19. I was stationed in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. And then I can share this. I was working with special mission submarines, and we did operational support for those kind of operations. And, you know, those are very classified, highly sensitive uh, uh, operations. And can picture in a 19-year-old kid from Cherry Street, coming from where I came from. And now I'm dealing with national security implications. And that night, when this event that I kind of, you know, vaguely described in the book for obviously security reasons, you know, I saw what was going on. I realized and it hit me all of a sudden. And it was like, whoa, you know, here's a kid from Cherry Street and this is what I'm dealing with. And it was very scary. It's very intimidating. Um, something I never imagined I'll find myself ever doing as a 19 year old kid. And that night, um, it was, we used to do 12 hour shifts. So I came in at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. and then I would leave like at 7 a.m. And that morning I left Paul, you know, I used to ride a bike. I didn't have a driver's license. I would ride my bicycle maybe four miles away, somewhere like that from where I lived. And, you know, I was afraid. I mean, I, I thought, you know, people were watching me, mm. you know, people kind of knew what I knew and, and I knew I had really? to keep this wow. stuff secret and I knew I could not talk about those things. So having to try to, you know, keep that kind of, I mean, literally national secrets, mm. you know, for a 19 year old kid that's still trying to, you know, learn life. It was very, very scary for mm. me. And I did find myself, you know, um, you know, closing things off learning more about my job. Yeah. I mean, it just struck me that I needed to, you know, not that I couldn't live life and have fun, but, you know, I stopped hanging out with friends Mm. and, you know, I just kind of focused on the work and and realizing what I was doing. And I think that was the first time where I really started being very introspective Mm. around, you know, my work versus who I was. Right. And um, I can say it was, um, it was very scary because, you know, I felt like, um, and I described in a book, I felt like people were watching me mm-hmm. everywhere I went, and, you know, because I had this, this, mm-hmm. this big burden on my shoulders that I could not talk about. And I could just say this on this particular call. I was working in what we call special access programs. And these are some of the most sensitive things that our military and our nation does. And we were at the heart of that. And that's about the extent that I can go okay. to that. But um, you can imagine mm-hmm. uh, the impact of reality something that serious for someone that age yeah it had an impression on me and it just scared me yeah after 19 i just can't fathom 19. me being 19 mm-hmm. having to, to to be responsible and to be to operate at the the, the heights of my ability to deal with this yes. situation because it is yeah. of national security that's in lives you can in lives and, and, and well and lives people's lives so mm-hmm. you could that's a lot to have on your shoulders and if you don't have yes the right stuff very 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 capable people can, can crumble because that's, yes. that's a lot that's a lot to deal with 
you know, to have the competence, the competency, but also to internalize and operate under that level of pressure, particularly for a 19 year old. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's, you're talking about being scared straight, you know, mm. it just really, really, you know, made me focus. I mean, and I, and I, I ended up being what we, at that time, and I can describe it, I was what we call a submarine broadcast operator. So, you know, you think about communications, special mm. intelligence communication. So I was at the front end was, and we, in the military, you know, you have to practice and I ended up becoming the best, one of the best broadcast operator. And I got promoted extremely fast. And what does that mean for so, broadcast operator? So it's kind of like, so, you know, so in the Navy, we have ships, right? Yeah. Ships, airplanes, mm. aircraft carriers, and we have submarines, right? Mm. And um, so, you know, in order for the submarine, just like any kind of communications, it had to be able to communicate. So one of the things that I had to do was make sure that communications to the submarine was making it on time, particularly those very sensitive things that they needed to know. Okay. Um, can't really get into submarine operations, but you can imagine yeah. they're underwater doing mm. submarine things, right? Mm. And uh, to that extent, you know, we were the eyes, literally, and mm. we were the ears for whatever those operations were. Okay. And if there was something good yeah. or bad going on in and around that environment, it was my job to make sure that they knew. Yeah. And sometimes those things got a little tricky. And um, you know, again, it's, uh, you know, oftentimes we're trained not to talk around subjects, mm. but, you know, the book was vetted through the community. And uh, that's about the extent that I can go yeah. there. So I was in charge of the communications for those submarines doing those special operations. And, and you can imagine, but to that extent, because of how, how serious it was, it again made me focus on my, on my role. It mm. made me focus on my profession. And that's what led to me being promoted because I was like, I was all in because I realized mm. how serious this was. And I could not have those discussions outside the, the work mm. environment that I had. Yeah. So, so just talk, talk about promotion. And obviously yeah, that happened, you know, you, you were ex- extremely successful. Mm-hmm. You, you were in the army for 21 years. And during that period, obviously you, you climbed up the, the ranks where did you get I'm just thinking about your background again so because some because sometimes we can let people might be listening to it or watching it and they might have come from a certain I don't know background or situation yeah and sometimes we can let that restrict us in terms of our ambitions but you were able to you know navigate your situation go into the army climb up the ranks what was it about you that never let your path weigh you down yeah well i think that's a really really good question and i'll tell you um i'll go back to the very beginning remember my mother raised four children Mm, by herself she only had a general education diploma but she was highly intelligent right Mm. very hard working right and that example right so when you know, you know, for someone to raise four children in a segregated South, to be hardworking, to have good character and do those things, that was the example that I needed. Okay. So to that extent, and you remember when I said the military taught me discipline mm. as well, because I mean I had some rough starts, I had some some mistakes and failures mm. early on. Mm. And one I'll share with you here, uh, even before that happened. But so I think between not that I think I know with those the character traits that she you know, she instilled in all of us, you know, 
allowed me to stay focused. The military part had the 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 the, the, mm. the um the discipline part that helped as well. And being young, you make mistakes, right? Yeah. So um, and I'll I also contribute uh, can attribute some of those early successes to a Marine, uh, a U.S. Marine. He's fought in Vietnam and had gotten myself into a situation that I described in the book. And he, you know, he believed in, you know, I told him the story. He, he you know, he supported me, my instructor and supported me when I made this mistake, you know, talking about mistakes and failures. Mm. And he believed in me. And yeah. I said, hey, you know, if I get another chance to to write this, then I'm going to write it. And from that point, I went in, I went in the Navy. I was enlisted. I was a listed person and I was a listed person. I went from an E1 to an E9. And that's pretty substantial. What does that mean? Sorry. Top 1% of military. I can tell you, E1 is the lowest level. So that means enlisted level one. Okay. So E1, enlisted level one. And then you got E9, enlisted level number nine, Mm. just Master Chief. You introduced me as a Master Chief cryptologist. So I'm a retired master chief. That's E9. Yeah. But I went from E1 yeah. to E9. And that well, that only represents the top 1.525% of the entire military service. So in order to go from E1 to E9, that's a pretty substantial thing. So how was I able to do it? That was, again, the discipline that the Navy taught me, that Marine, you know, having my mm-hmm. back, my mother talking about character and integrity, and all the leaders and mentors that came before me. And I was focused. I didn't let my mistakes and failures that I made stop me. I was progressively going to the next level. And that's one thing about the military. You know, again, I tell you, they mentioned they they instill discipline, but they Mm. instill core values. And now that I didn't have those as a child, you know, you're learning survival. When you're Mm. going from an impoverished neighborhood to to from from early ages to 17, you're, you're almost like in a survival mode. Yeah. You know, I didn't have, I didn't go to the private schools or mm. have things that was just handed to me necessarily. So there's a lot of hard work and a lot of hard knocks. Yeah. But when you kind of couple that with discipline, people that believe in you, you know, you start cultivating, Hey, you know what? Mm. You know, maybe, maybe I can do this. And you start yeah. getting the confidence that you need. So, you know, I can't take all the credit. You know, I could just say, again, it was my mother. It was that Marine gunny sergeant, Marine Corps gunny sergeant that did that. And all the leaders and examples that I had mm-hmm. uh, growing up, even my brothers and my sisters. I mean, my brother went in the Army, in the Air Force. My sister went to college. So I had some good examples yeah. of what that might look like. So um, it just it helped motivate me to be the best version of myself, you know, as a human mm-hmm. being. What springs out to me there, all amazing stuff. But it's your ability to, when you have these interactions with people, you're able to take the good parts and run with it. Because lots of us have encounters with people that there's a hidden message there. It's like, will we take that message? Will we take it and run with it? And it seems at every juncture that you had, you know, your mum, your brother, the the guy in in the army, all these people, when they offered you, a little something you had that ability to go i'm you know i'm going to latch on to this and i'm going to take it as far as i yeah. can and i think that's a skill because i think there's you know i'm sure you know i'm sure i can even from a personal perspective i've been given you know opportunities to run with it have i always run with it no i have to be honest sometimes i have so it's 
having that skill that you've got to be to be able to shred what I don't want, but the nuggets that people do give you, yes, I'm all over that, and I'm gonna maximize that to its fullest potential. Yeah, well, you know, I would say, and and I have to I have to give the military structure credit. Okay, mm. let's just let me just be honest here, mm. and I'll just tell you what has happened since, and and, and I, I do understand that question. When you when you join the military, right? You know, again, you so I went from E one to E nine. So there's a process, and you know, so in order to go from E one to E two to all the way up to E nine, there's a process for what you have to do. There's requirements that you mm-hmm. have to meet. So what happens is, if you say, "Hey, look, you know, I I want to be an E four, I want to be an E five, I want to be an E 6 there are certain things that you have to do. Okay. And one thing I can say about the military, it is probably in a most objective, um, it's probably most objective because things are measured in your physical fitness and mm. your test scores. So it's easier. I, I think it's it's more objective. I won't okay. call it easier, okay. but it's more objective because now you can say you're competing against these, these standards. Mm. So it's not just somebody subjectively saying you're promoted or I like you. In the military, you can, you can, you know, okay. it's, it's good to be liked. Okay. Mm. You know, it's better to be respected, but it's good to be liked. But at the end of the day, it boils down to your performance. Mm. So I think in the military and the way that that structure works, it kind of teaches you how to move up and do okay. that. Okay. And uh, now, on the civilian side, right, where non-military people, that's a little bit different. Mm. It's almost like, hey, you get yeah. out in life, you graduate from high mm. school. Okay. So your next step should be college, right? Yeah. No one mandates that you go to college, right? You know, and then you do that and you go to college, you get your degree, you know, Find a spouse, get married, mm-hmm. have children, white picket fence. That's just a standard, you know, way that we conform in life. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of hard to carve out. And, and I want to share something with you along those lines. You, you earlier I mentioned to you about, um, you know, um, Earl Nightingale. And he yeah. talked about success being the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. He was saying, why aren't most people successful? And he said, most people aren't successful because they conform. Now, conformity isn't necessarily a bad thing, but in the military, you have to kind of conform, but it's a structure to kind of do that Mm. in life, you know, growing up in the UK or in the United States or wherever you may be around the world, you know, you know, there's a conformity to, hey, you know, a white picket fence, going to college, doing those Mm. things. But again, there is no requirement to do those things. And I think it's, you know, I'm not saying it lets people off the hook, but Mm. you may not put that much you know, um, not value, but you may not, you kind of go through the motion. And I'm not saying that's what life is, mm. but, you know, to that extent, most people conform to what they're seeing, how they're socialized. Yeah. And maybe that's why they're not being the best version of themselves. Mm. They're not looking inside and trying to be that individual. They're not trying to define yeah. their success. They're looking at what, what society is mm. conforming us to. And I think I understood what he was saying. And that was stated in 1951. Okay. Let wow. me just be clear. But I do see how, from a social perspective, how conforming to certain things, you know, and maybe that maybe that shoe don't fit you, you know, mm. so maybe not may not be encouraged. But I think it's always important to, you know, like in a non-structured environment to figure out what it is that you want to be. Yeah. What is the best version of yourself? And I do have some lessons in the book that talk about being the best version of who you are. Mm. And there's a quote in the book that I says, no one can beat you at being you. Mm. And I think oftentimes we're trying to conform to what the image might be, mm. whether it's a family situation or another mentor or what have you. 
But what I've discovered for myself, when I'm really focusing on trying to be who I am and being the best version of who I am, then those other things kind of kind of fall into place. So if I had to give you a short response to what you're saying, I mean, it's not unusual that people may shy away from things that they hear from other people. But I think it's best, Paul, to kind of focus in and try to figure out what it is that you want to do and try to be the best version of what that is, similar to what you're doing like with your podcast. Yeah, yeah. I heard a quote. I can't remember who the quote was from, but I heard something similar. Literally, literally last week, it might have been something, something like Aristotle or something like that, but it was a similar quote along the lines of what you've just uh, you've just referenced. So, so you mentioned earlier, there's a couple of things I want to I want to ask you, if I may. So mm-hmm. you're a code cracker. That's one of the things that you were doing yes. in in, yes. in, the, in the Navy. So it's um, yes. cryptologist, I believe it's. Cryptologist, yes. Okay, so tell me a little bit. You may probably, for operational reasons, you can't go to, into detail. But what, what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so in the field, so in the field of cryptology, that's the study of crypto codes and mm. things of that nature. But at the end of the day, recall I mentioned I was going to be a Russian linguist, and they put me mm. in Korean, and I talk about it in the book. Mm. So, in the military, you know, just like the the, the military in the UK. You know, they have link, they have linguists. So mm. they learn to learn the language to understand, okay. you know, what, you know, mm. what our foreign folks are doing, foreign partners, I would say foreign or, or mm. overseas partners, are doing, right? That's that on the language side. Then we have what we call cryptologists that may deal with communications. That's what I did. So my job was to make sure that we, you know, you heard of encryption, right? So that means we take these, we take regular language, like regular messaging. Mm. And we encrypt it to a point that if someone tried to intercept it, they cannot read it. Okay. And the same thing, right, on the reverse end, when, when you send me something, like if I send you something, I want to encrypt it mm. to make sure that if someone saw it, they could not read yeah. what I'm telling you. Mm. And, uh, but also, too, on the, on the defensive side of that, you know, maybe we have capabilities to be able to see what other folks may be doing. Yeah. Right? So maybe someone want to tap in on your your encrypted phone, for mm. example, and see what you know your 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 thing is or something of that nature. Wow. wow. But that so so without getting into any technical details or anything around the job. So cryptology is just a study of you know cryptograms and, and mm. secret codes in order to protect that. And I was a cryptologist. And along those lines, what I talked about in life as a cryptologist, how a naval cryptologist cracked the code on life lessons. Yeah, I, I love created that. I love that. You know, these, yeah. I had 10 of those lessons and I thought what, what attracted you was of those 10 codes, the number one code that I cracked was mistakes and failures should be options for growth. Yes. And I yes. think this is important, as I mentioned earlier, yeah. right? You know, oftentimes you grow up and even the military may say this, or maybe even a professional, you know, professional sports mm. or even professional corporate organizations, yeah. they may tell you failure is not a mistake. I mean, failure is not a, an option. Mm. Because obviously that, that that makes people tense up mm. and things of that nature. But again, just like with your podcast, we're we're trying to let folks know that mm. success could be the progressive liberalization yeah. of a worthy ideal. Mm. And remember, failure is not a destination. I mean, people mm. think it's a destination in their mind, but actually, you know, you may want. I may not want to work with someone who's never been through anything. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. going through those things make you better mm. for it, may make yeah. you a better leader, may make you a better manager, may make you a better CEO, mm. may make you a better person. So 
that was one of those codes that I cracked. I just want to share one more with you that I think is very interesting. Um, well, I just mentioned to you, no matter what you do in life, no one can beat you at being you. And um, I have a whole bunch of them in here, but I, I just got to yeah, say that, this. We need, we need to get the book you, for sure. Yeah. So one of them, I state that you cannot buy peace of mind, right? And what I mean by that, you know, say that, you know, you can't go and buy it. You know, mm. you can't walk into a store and say, can I get some peace of mind, please? You may yeah. go and see your therapist. You may go talk to a mm. friend and family member, but it's not something that you can go and buy, mm. right? You can go to the like case in point, you can go and buy a, a mattress or a pillow, mm. but that's not going to guarantee you a good night's rest. So in order to do that, you have to do, you know, you have to internalize and you have to realize that's just who you are. Again, that mattress and that pillow may be nice, but is that going to give you the peace that you need to have a good night's rest? Yeah. And the same thing with love. You can't buy those things. So what I'm talking about through this journey in this book, these were codes that I had cracked. And I'll just say one other one. It says overcoming, defeating yourself is freedom. And I do think that, you know, we could talk about, you know, mm. being the best version of ourselves. Mm. But I think, you know, Paul, if I'm really being honest, I think sometimes we got to get out our own way. Mm. You know, it's one thing to bring them, blame the manager or blame your spouse or to blame a family member or a boss. Mm. But sometimes we have to hold that own accountability yeah. for ourselves and then look inside of what's what's preventing us from having mm. that success. Yeah. And I really do think that, um, you know, uh, overcoming and defeating yourself is, is and I t- talk about that because during that, you know, development stage where I was reaching actualization. I realized that I had to get out of my own way and I was probably the biggest impediment mm. towards my own success. Yeah. It wasn't someone holding me back as much mm. as the way that I may have thought about those things. Yeah. It's um, a really important book and I think it's going to be a wonderful tool for everybody that gets it and reads it, whether it's for them mm. or whether, you know, you can get it for your partner, your siblings, yeah. your friends, work colleagues, because you know, we all need to be cognizant of how we can elevate ourselves and really, really live our lives to, 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 to the fullest potential because, you know, it's been a challenging couple of years for everybody, yes. two or three years for everybody. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're all capable of living amazing lives, but we don't, unfortunately, we don't all, including me, we don't all have the tools and the know-how to execute what it, what is going to be amazing life for us. So having books like you've created are really beneficial so we can tap into that, we can read, we can discuss, we can put some notes down, and also we can take some action off the points that we've, that we've noted in the book. Well, well, thank you for saying that. And, and I'm honored that you said that. And um, and, I, and it is a story and it's a it's a story. It's not a how to book. I'll tell you that. But what you see in each chapter is teaching you a lesson that I have learned. Yeah. And you can kind of learn it from the lens of illegitimate son. And along those lines, I just want to share one more with you, Paul. I'm, I'm getting excited over here because <laughs> uh, there's one more. I cracked 10, so I didn't give them yeah. all. OK. But, I just want to say one here when we think about failure and success, mm. right? And again, that's the central heart of your podcast, and I love it. Um, I wrote here, and it's there. It says, unhappiness and frustrations are unproductive. 
And, you know, oftentimes, you know, mm-hmm. we get down on ourselves and we're unhappy and frustration. What I realized in my own life, I spent too much time mm-hmm. in frustration where I could be, it can make it yeah. more useful. And it's yeah. not productive. I mean, mm-hmm. there is nothing productive about the time we spend in frustration on mm-hmm. happiness. If we walk around being unhappy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and I'm just telling you, and I think, I think, I think happiness is a skill. Now, you heard it. I mean, I'm, I'm not the first person to say mm-hmm. any of these things. Um, but I could tell you, I experienced it myself. I think I've become an expert on mm-hmm. who I am. I think that's the only thing I'm expert in is who I am, right? And I'm getting, I'm learning stuff every day about myself. But I know for a fact that I have spent too much time in my life being unhappy and frustrated. Mm-hmm. And I know that I've been able to take those moments of unhappiness and frustration and make them productive, mm-hmm. you know, instead of, you know, spending that time in that. And that helps towards that success. And, you know, this COVID, um, this pandemic has impacted us in, in a lot of ways. Mm. In fact, I've been thinking about writing this book for a long time, but it wasn't until this particular time that I was able to take advantage yeah. of, you know, uh, the time where I needed to focus on these things. And um, again, the book is about, you know, becoming the best version of yourself. Mm. And that starts with you. Mm. And I just want to discredit everyone that uh, that I've experienced in life, you know, the mentors, my family, um, you know, um, everyone that I've had a chance to, to, to experience in life that has made me into the person that I am today. And I, I would say I'm getting better every day. Wonderful, I wonderful. Better than I was yesterday. Wonderful. And tomorrow I'm probably going to be better than I was <laughs> you know, 10 years I, ago. I, I, I love it. And just in relation to the book, where is it available? Where can people pick it up? They can get it at Amazon.com okay. or you can go to illegitimate son, illegitimate-son.com and you can order it there. But it's on Amazon. Okay. That's probably the most, that's probably the most the easiest way to get it. Okay. And uh, you know, I think it's a pretty good story. And it's an think, amazing, uh, it's an amazing story. It's, it's an amazing story. What we'll do, I'll I'll get some links and I'll put that on the show notes. So it's just easy for people to access. So they can thank you. They can listen to this and then they can they can purchase after and uh, maybe even send you some feedback and uh, for any lessons that they take from it. So you've got some wonderful feedback. And I think, I think happiness is, is a skill. If that's what you said, mm-hmm. I think that, that potentially should be, yes. that potentially should be your, your next book. And um, okay, you think so? I, def- I, def- I, def- I, I definitely think that should be your next book. Cause I think we okay, all, good. we all need happiness and we all, you know, it's very easy. I agree with you. It's very easy to take a situation and dwell on it. And you know, on this podcast, we talk a lot about the ability to reframe, reframe a situation from a negative into a positive. And mm-hmm. even though I know this, sometimes I have to check myself sometimes because there might be something that's happened and I might react to it to, to myself a little bit negatively in that in that you know and then i have to think actually paul you can reframe this you know this you speak to all these amazing people you've got the skill set you've got the know-how to be able to reframe and to and to you know tweak that into a positive situation but i think people like you that have navigated a you know like a being in a navy advanced and dealing with multiple situations beyond what most of us, unless you're from the Navy, can comprehend, have these skill sets that can 
really open our eyes and just give us skills that you know we're not aware of yeah absolutely and 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 actually I'll, I'll be honest with you i wrote down you said happiness is a skill i'm sitting there thinking maybe maybe you're right maybe i can't and i'm sitting there thinking maybe oh, i can write about that because yeah. the truth is is that you know we think it's a feeling and emotion yeah, it is we, we're emotional creatures and this is part of who we are and our self-consciousness and how we might mm. feel but at the end of the day if, if it's a skill that means that's something that we could be taught mm. Mm. you know you know, it ain't like we inherit happiness because we went and brought the mm. we went and brought the new home or a new car, right? You know, you think that's going to give you happiness? That's a thing, right? Mm. But I think if we look at it as a skill, how can I develop myself? It's almost like building yeah. a muscle, building your intellectual mm. capability. I think that we need to look at happiness in a different way, and then I do think that that's how we can turn that into productivity, oh. and we mm. find ourselves at peace. So, I, I I'm gonna be honest with you i think you just gave me a book idea you know what let me know if that comes out because you know what i really do think it's important more now than ever because life is so precious life is the most precious thing ever and you know if we can give the world a happier version of ourselves then everybody it's a win 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 we win our family wins our work colleagues win random people that we just meet in a supermarket yes, or in the yes. park or at the football yes. match everybody you know, everybody I, wins i let me tell you i i got to share this i i know i know there's other, one other question i know you mm. want to ask me but yeah. i got to share something with you that happened Please yesterday do. now this is this is not uncommon i i do things on holidays but yesterday was a pretty good day here in the washington dc metro area mm. where i'm at right where i'm living now and um I was driving from a park and um, in Alexandria. So I live in Maryland. So I drove and I, I, I went down this alleyway, right? It was behind this strip mm. mall. There was a McDonald's there and a bunch of businesses. And I saw this guy, you know, he looked homeless. I couldn't see his face. And he was walking and uh, I saw him and I'm like, wow, you know, and I knew I had, I knew what I had in my wallet. And, um, you know, and I'm like, wow, you know, he's struggling. And then I saw him stop and he was like looking for food or something. Mm. He was, it was some dumpsters there and I, I saw it and, and it just broke my heart, Paul. And mm. I'm like, man, you know, I have a very, very, you know, I I just got a very, very soft spot for mm. people who, who struggle, right? Mm. So I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to make a U-turn. And I made up my mind, I'm going to give him a $50 bill. Wow. And I kid you not, I, I, I circled around. And I, I pulled up to him and I said, how are you doing? He seemed to be shocked. I rolled down the window, seemed to be shocked a little bit, you know, whatever. Hmm. And then I handed him, I said, what are you looking for? Right. And I knew he was looking for food hmm. and he didn't answer it. He was like, ah, oh, you know, he was hungry. Right. Hmm. And I handed him a $50 bill and I saw him look at it and it was almost like it wasn't real to hmm. me. Right. Hmm. And, and I'm like, and what went through my mind and I, I couldn't be, and he said, he said, thank you. Right. And, mm. you know, I'm looking at him and I drove off and I'm thinking he was, and then when, as I looked in the river mirror, he was still looking at me. Yeah, yeah. And I was wondering like, wow, is he just amazed that someone gave him that much? Mm. But then it dawned on me, maybe he's never seen a $50 bill and maybe mm. he's trying to see that whether or not it was real. Yeah. And I guess the moral of the story was this, you know, obviously, you know, I'm a very grateful, humble person. But you just never know what people are going through. Mm. You don't know what people's experiences are. Mm. 
And the thought that maybe he didn't know what a $50 bill was, I mean, come on now. It's not like every day people use cash and credit mm-hmm. cards and, you know, mm-hmm. debit cards. So maybe people don't use cash like yeah. they should. Well, might be should, but people yeah. don't use cash anymore. But I swear his look was so stunned, you know, that that happened. And mm-hmm. I think he was questioning whether or not it was real. Yeah. And um, and that's the part that I want you to take mm-hmm. away from that, because, you know, it's like, wow, you know, if you don't have those experiences, you know, I mean, you just think what's normal for you mm. is normal for everyone. And I just know that that was, you know, and it just made me feel like I'm so glad I did mm. what I did for that for that moment. The last thing I need this guy doing is eating out of the, you mm. know, eating yeah. out of the, the dumpster yeah. or, or the ground. And, and, and it was a McDonald's right there. So I'm pretty sure yeah. he could have went and got him something to eat. But he was there staring at that bill. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's interesting. It hadn't occurred to me that he's potentially not seen a fifty dollar fifty dollar bill before, so, so yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I'm not I'm not trying to be funny. I mean, I'm just saying I came no, from no. extraordinarily humble beginnings. Yeah. I mean, I mean, people might think there's thousand dollar bills, maybe you know, I don't know. But what I'm saying to you is, this man was looking at this if it wasn't real, mm. and and that's I mean, that's the takeaway that I'm saying. Mm. It's like, damn, you know. Those things that we take for granted, you know, and mm. it, it's just, I, and I don't, I don't do that in my mm. own life because I'm very grateful, but, you know, it was just a message for me, you know, it was a message mm. for me too, just, yeah. just remember where I yeah. came from. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm going to say Kenneth, but Kenneth is a pseudonym. Yes. His real name is Craig. Yes. I know you've referenced that a couple of times. Maybe yes. you can explain, yes. expand on that. And then I'll get to my last yes. question. Yeah, thank you for asking that. So yes, so Kenneth Thurl is a pseudonym for my brother Kenneth. Uh, my name is Craig Taylor. My brother' name was Kenneth Thurl Taylor. Uh, he he passed away at too early of age. He was only forty years old. Oh wow! And um, so I actually, you know, Kenneth Thurl is the is the name used throughout the book. Wow! But that was my way of honoring mm-hmm. him. You know, um, because I wrote this book primarily to honor my mother. And I thought, how can I best do that? And, um, you know, I I wrote this book and I, there's a dedication in here and I just want to just read it here. So uh, for you and your listeners to to hear, but I got a picture of her in the book and I wrote uh, to honor my mother. I wrote this book uh, to give back what was given to me, the legacy of her character. And that's why I wrote the book. Mm. That was the motivation for it was to, you kind of cement her legacy yeah. and say, look, here's your son. That was this illegitimate son. Mm-hmm. And then I use Kenneth because, you know, my other two siblings, my sister, and my brother, they're still here. You live in the United States. And, you know, I did uh, obtain their permission to use uh, his name. And mm-hmm. he does have a son. Mm-hmm. I had a chance to speak to him about this before I published the book with it. And he was fine with oh, it amazing. as well. And uh, so it's again, it was just. Uh, something that I felt I needed mm. to do. But I think for listeners and everyone else, I think it's a story that, you know, it's a, it's a great story. And I'm mm. just being honest. And I think um, people can benefit from that and kind of see what those mm. lessons were and those quotes that I cracked about life. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Craig, Craig, it's it's been yes. amazing. I've really enjoyed this. I knew I would. I was excited. I did say that when I read some of you when I was researching you so and you really lived up to on my expectations so thank you and congratulations on your book it's really wonderful stuff I haven't read it I've read extracts from it I will get it I will read it and I will update you on that
Um, but but I've, got, I've got one last question, which is okay. if you could invite three inspirational people for dinner, who would you invite? Wow, that, that, that's an easy question. And I'm just going to tell you, um, that'd be my mother yeah. because it's been a long time. I haven't yeah. seen her since she passed away in 2007. So okay. I would want to have dinner with her. Uh, and also my brother, Kenneth, you know, yeah. I mean, he just died too young. And, you know, there are some things that, um, you know, sometimes you, you feel like you want to resolve with your family member. Yeah. And it's just something I just really want to, mm-hmm. you know, resolve. And I mm-hmm. think that's why I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. But outside of those two, I have to pick uh, uh, General Colin Powell, mm. and uh, he uh, he's passed away mm. too. So you know, um, you know, maybe one of these days I'll meet him for dinner. I hope it's I'll not tomorrow. Okay, but <laughs> yeah, so that, yeah that, I hope I get yeah. a chance to meet them. Yeah. Meet them because I know they all look in the distant right future. Now. In the distant future, they will have a copy of your book at the table. <laughs> so, 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 a glass, did, a glass well, of wine. Yeah. And, and he, that's, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, be amazing. he was he was definitely an inspiration to all of us. And you know, he died during COVID, and uh, he passed away. And uh, but yeah, those will be the three. So my mother, my brother Kenneth, and uh, General Colin Powell. Okay, okay, w- wonderful. That and I wish I could make that happen, but in in, <laughs> in, in the future, in the future, some time yeah. away. Because Colin Powell, he was like. Looking well, but he had a complication, didn't he? From COVID. yeah, because apparently yeah. there was. I mean, I think there was some ailments there, but I think it was complications due to COVID. So yeah. you know, a lot of folks, um, particularly early on, you know, uh, there were a lot of underlying conditions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't say that I knew a lot about his condition because mm. it happened all of a sudden. Yeah, but yeah. They, that that was tied to it. Um, I don't know what the final you know mm. analysis was, but I, I know we was all left with the impression mm. that a part of the mm. COVID contributed to that. That's the, so that's what we, that's what we understand. And, um, but this is unfortunate. I'm just glad that uh, we're getting somewhat of a handle on yeah, the pandemic. Yeah. And, Absolutely. Um, Cause he would have loved your book. Yes. I, I would hope so. Yeah. You think you were saying that because, you know, he was a soldier. soldier. Oh, he would have loved it. He, uh, you know, loved it. he, uh, he was, he was probably one of the most admired uh, service mm. members. I mean, we had a lot of great in history without doubt. But I think he's going to go down in history. Is and he ended up being the Secretary of State uh, yeah, for the United yeah. States as well. Uh, he was the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, which is the top military person, you know, um, you know, in 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 the United States. Mm-hmm. So he was definitely a well respected mm-hmm. uh, individual. And you know what? He was so humble too. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's the trait that I think we all try to yeah, aspire absolutely. to be. And I just think that he was more than just a statesman. He was just yeah. a good man. Period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was admired equally in the in the UK by Great. you know he had his the resonance that people had from him carried across the Atlantic to the to the UK. So when we heard the news yeah. about him, it touched everybody over here as well. So um, you know, a great man that we've lost. Um, yeah, but but I guess that what we can do, we can extract all the wonderful things he did and put that into our lives. You know. Yes, you know. absolutely. Okay, Craig, this has been an absolute blast. I've really enjoyed thank this, and um, I definitely think we should do something else in the future. And um, yes. and thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you for the time, and thank you for having me, and I look forward to talking with you in the future. Thanks absolutely. again, Paul. Absolutely. And thank you, everybody, for tuning into this episode of My Perfect Failure. 
and please look out for the next episodes coming up very shortly. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to My Perfect Failure podcast. Be sure to visit www.myperfectfailure.com to join the conversation. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Look out for our next episode.